Have you ever thought about online businesses that they're as much of a business as any other business and the kind that have bricks and mortar? Well, the interesting thing is, is that this is big business. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you that it is remarkable some of the multiples that are being paid for some of these online businesses. So today I have the opportunity, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm talking to Andrew Voda of Empire Flippers, and Empire Flippers is a dominant force in the industry. And this is going to be a great one because I'm really interested in learning about how regular value techniques apply to this asset that resides in space or resides on the internet. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andrew Voda. Please welcome, please welcome. Welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. A podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable. Learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now, here's your host, Ed Misogland. So I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. On today's show, I'm, I am way stoked about this. Ever since I started the podcast, uh, I've been looking at these guys. It, it's Andrew Voda from Empire Flippers. And, and one of the, the things that drew me to this company was they're selling businesses, online businesses. And you would think that it would be intuitive that there was a big market for it. But not until I started doing the research for this interview did did I really learn just how big a business it is. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ed. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, appreciate you inviting me to the podcast. Excited about it. Before you got on, I gave the audience a little bit of a, an overview of Empire Flippers. But if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about Empire Flippers and what you do and how you're serving business owners? Yeah, sure. So to start with Empire Flippers, high level overview, uh, basically we're an online business marketplace where we sell only online based businesses uh, from around the world. So nothing with much of a physical presence anywhere. And, and these businesses may be set up by people in you know, Australia, Switzerland, India, United States, wherever. We have buyers from all over the world as well. And we vet the businesses, sell them, and then transfer them over to the new owners. We'll, we'll probably get more into the businesses and everything later, but basically things like e-commerce businesses, people that are selling products on Amazon or, or some like content and informational based businesses as well that kind of look like blogs and product review sites. That's what Empire Flippers is. As far as who I am, a little bit about what I do, uh, at Empire Flippers, I'm the lead seller advisor. So really what that means is I'm helping out business owners before they come to our marketplace and sell their business with us to make sure that they understand you know, what the process looks like and, and probably most important to them, uh, how much they can end up taking away from a sale. But in doing all that, want to make sure that their business is uh, good to go, ready to sell, and, and that it's a good fit for our marketplace as well. So... Pretty much uh, me and Empire Flippers in a nutshell. Wow. So how did Empire Flippers start? How did it even come into being? I mean, I, intuit, like I said, intuitively, you'd say, well, of course, you know, you have an online business. You know, it's an asset like anything else. Of course, someone will, would want to buy it. So how did Joe get started in it? Yeah. So Joe and Justin are the founders of Empire Flippers, and they pretty much started it about 10 years ago. 
the way that they got their started is they initially were building some small websites themselves and then selling those websites after they started to earn some money. Talking earning like 10 to $100 a month, started off real small. And then they would sell those on a multiple of the monthly net profits. So really just started off selling businesses that were a few thousand dollars. And they were just ones that they were building themselves. Over time, though, they started to develop a really reputable name for the websites that they were building. And the online business space close to a decade ago, it's a little bit more like the Wild West, where people didn't really know what they're looking at or what they're buying. So when other people wanted to sell their businesses and websites, they came to Joe and Justin. And Joe and Justin started uh, selling those websites as well and taking a fee. As you can probably imagine from there, pretty much just snowballed into bigger and bigger websites and then opened the doors for more monetization methods and and business models as well, where it wasn't just little websites, really became like SaaS businesses, software businesses, international e-commerce businesses as well. And and here in 2020, we've uh, sold close to $125 million worth of online businesses um, and over a thousand of them as well. That is truly remarkable. I mean... Empire Flippers really had first mover's advantage because I've been in the industry for a long time. I've I've heard of them. I never I not in a million years. I thought it was a funky name, but that <laughs> but that was about it. But now once I started researching, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is a big business. So do you have a lot of competition? Yeah. Yeah. There's some really? other competitors out there, um, <laughs> but haven't heard much I, of them. Good for you. Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, so something about Empire Flippers, um, since we're on a podcast here too, like Empire Flippers started blogging about this and doing a podcast you know, while Joe and Justin were building up the business in the early stages. And I think they did a, a really excellent job at at marketing and, and getting their name out there and talking about this industry that not a lot of people knew about. So that really caught on and gained a lot of popularity has really helped us to just grow in our online presence. And in doing so, that's helped us to really attract a lot more buyers and sellers and uh, build up our name in the space over the last decade. Traditionally, when we look at the value of an asset, the tangible and intangible assets that we typically value, I mean, it's based on three things, earnings, risk, and expectations. As a digital asset, I'm assuming the same holds true, right? Yeah. So put simply, there's, you know, earnings is obviously a huge part of it. We're typically looking at the trailing 12 months net profit times a monthly multiple to get to the valuation price. So again, average monthly net profit over the trailing 12 months times a monthly multiple. So important factors that go into it, obviously earnings, it's a big part of it. And then risk and expectations, they're going to be reflected as I imagine in really any other type of business uh, model as well is they're going to be reflected in that, in that multiple at the end of the day. Yeah. But the inverse of, of a multiple is like a discount rate or cap rate and that quantifies risk. But when you start talking about some of the multiples that you have, I mean, in my world, four to six is a big multiple in, in your world, that's probably a bottom feeder. Right. That's actually so you may see on our website that we have these multiples of goes up to I think we have one for 64x right now, <laughs> right. which but that is a monthly multiple. So uh, on a yearly basis, um, okay. I'm going to need a calculator probably to yeah, do. Uh, I get it. No, no. By 12, but 
So your multiples are based on monthly multiples as opposed to annual. I get, but the risk is still the same. When, when you start talking about forecasts with digital assets, you know, let's just talk content. I mean, consumer tastes change. How does the buyer get their investment back? Because it seems as though there's the risk associated with these types of businesses is certainly more amplified and more variables than businesses that a normal brokerage would sell, right? With that risk, though, comes opportunity as well. A lot of the businesses that we see, you know, it may be someone that doesn't have a ton of experience selling it, and you have someone that has a lot more of a digital marketing background that comes in. And within the first six months, they're able to double or triple the business. And even that is an underestimate compared to what some people and groups are able to do once they take a business over. It can be more risky as well if, if people don't know what they're doing. But once we're uh, selling the business, we, we've already vetted it to make sure that the financials are legitimate. And then there's a handover period as well where people are learning from the seller to make sure that you know, they, they can run the business themselves and uh, you know, haven't, haven't gotten into something that they don't understand. Most of the acquisitions are strategic acquisitions. So, you know, a lot of buyers in in a normal brokerage would be, look, I'm buying myself a job. I'm going to take the place of the owner. Whereas in a lot of the deals that you're dealing with, it's the one plus one equals three strategic value, right? Yeah. And well, with strategic buyers, we see that sometimes, but a lot of the buyers they may not already be familiar with the vertical, like if it's uh, pet products, they may not be familiar with that space, but they know, they know what's making the engine run and how to make that, that website or that e-commerce business continue to sell more products or, or just grow and increase in value. I get it. So, so they're doing yeah. their due diligence like SEMrush and Ahrefs and things like that, and, and scoping out the areas that the website is underperforming, and because it's all how good and how reliable that kind of information is, I know enough of the vernacular to make me dangerous. Um, <laughs> so then they go hunting for deals like that, and they know, they know that they can add some secret sauce to it and amplify the value, right? Yeah, yeah. So damn. that's definitely <laughs> one type of buyer. One of the things that you talked about was content versus e-commerce companies. Content. I mean, I thought content is just that. It's it's blogs. It's it's Ed's blog. If Ed's not blogging, how is there still value? How is there how does that stay? Yeah, so that's a good example of a blog that, you know, we'll define as a a very personally branded blog where that's Ed talking about Ed's experiences, Ed's work history. It's probably got pictures of Ed's face all over the blog. And those are more tricky to sell. If the author or the writer is really intertwined with the website and the content, and therefore that audience as well, those businesses are, are trickier to sell and require some, some longer exit planning to start to kind of extract that presence from the website. But a lot of the websites that we see, they're ones where the author isn't really like the star of the site. It might just be a site that's, you know, bestfishingpoles.com or something like that, where it's a site all about fishing. And there really isn't like a main author or person that's steering the ship there, so to speak. So more so just the content that people are coming for. So you have per the same personal goodwill challenges that in a normal business would have. 
especially if it, if the owner is the blogger or the content creator. I could imagine. Yeah. I bet you go through that a lot. It oh, sounds all like all the time. I mean, yeah, I shouldn't say all the time, but a good chunk of it is I, if the risk is the owner, the owner is not there. How do you transfer the value? And it's, it yeah. sounds like you, you face the same thing. What's the composition of your buyers? What, what do the buyer pools look like for you right now on our marketplace? The sizes of the business range pretty significantly. So there's going to be different buyers based on the price of the business, based on the business type. To just give a little bit of background, we have businesses right now that are around $20,000 and they might be like a small blog. One's up to about $5 million, which are more of like an international e-commerce business. On the lower end where you might have like a $20,000 business and, and that's typically earning about somewhere like $500 to $1,000 a month, that type of buyer... It could be a few different types. Could be people that are brand new and you know want to get into the space without building something themselves. They want to have a little bit of cash flow and you know something to chew on while they're uh, tinkering around and learning the ropes. Or it could be people that run a portfolio of websites and they see one that they know exactly where to take that website, how to grow it, and make that earn a lot more money. And maybe they end up flipping that down the road as well. On the higher end too, you know, a lot more private equity groups, experienced investors on the upper yeah. end, and then everything in between. Same kind of thing with the exception of individual buyers. So essentially the three buckets that a normal brokerage operates from is individual buyers, strategics or direct or indirect kind of competitors, and then private equity groups. And it sounds, sounds somewhat similar, just different assets. Yeah. Does the value differ depending on who the type of buyer is? That's an interesting question. Does it differ based on who the type of buyer is? Yeah. For example, when we have a strategic buyer that's that's looking at buying, a, pick the company, and they can add gas to it and make the one plus one equals three, they're immediately recognized that they can pay a higher multiple because the mechanics of the deal and the, the value associated with it makes financial sense. Yeah, um, and they can they they inherently have an advantage over individual buyers. Same with you guys, or have you seen that? Yeah, so definitely with experienced buyers that are either already in the space or know how to run that business, they're going to be moving quicker for the most part uh, than yeah. you know someone that doesn't know it. But with our listings on our marketplace, we're a fixed price marketplace, so the listings don't ever sell above the asking multiple. Really, why? But they're are plenty of times where we don't see too many like strategic buyers that are already in one vertical, just buying up sites in that vertical. But certainly more experienced buyers are going to be paying quicker or they'll pay that full asking price. So you don't you don't ever get into a situation where it's almost like a controlled auction where you you have multiple buyers bidding on it and say it maxes out at at the ask price. Then what do you do? Just pick the one you you like the most? <laughs> yeah, so that's the, at that point if uh, you have a couple of buyers <laughs> That's a good problem that, to have. <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem to have. One of those better ones. Uh so once that does happen, it, what we call it is uh, the wire race. So what we think is the most fair there is if two buyers are competing on the same business, they've both agreed to the same or both agreed to pay the same full list price. It really just comes down to whose money is going to land in the bank account first. Wow. Uh, 
So it's purely economic and not, there's no emotional connection to the buyer. It's just whoever, whoever can get their money in, in the account first, in the escrow account. Usually happens though on, on businesses that are like sub $50,000. And there might be times where we put up a new listing and within the first two hours, one hour, even sometimes you have three buyers that are sending over, you know, $30,000. They barely reviewed the site. They nice. just know this is what they want and they move very quickly. Well, one of the things that we've done, and and like I said, we've been doing it for a long time is when we have multiple buyers, we'll accept both offers subject to the non-performance of the other. So this guy, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to go through. He knows that someone's biting, biting at the bit right behind him. And yeah, that provides a little bit of buyer leverage. I saw that. And this was another thing that totally floored me was SBA financing. You guys can finance these things through the SBA. Now, tell me about that. Yeah, so that's happening more, but it is still, by and large, fairly uncommon in this space. Actually, out of all the deals we've sold, which is right over a 1,000 deals, they've all been cash deals. So we've had some that have qualified for an SBA loan, but we've had people come in and buy them first with cash Uh, before going that route. So when there is financing, do, I mean, do you guys get involved in that or, or are you just like, you know what, show up with your check that, that, uh, that tells us the story. Yeah. Well, we have some preferred lenders that we work with that have done, you know, e-commerce deals before with an SBA loan. Uh, the process though is usually just far more drawn out than if we're using cash, obviously usually takes about 60 days on average to sell a business from, from the list until the money's oh, in. Man, wouldn't that be great. <laughs> so, yeah. so there, try to move deals fast. Typical business is six to nine months and it, it's a long time. So what's even funnier about the SBA financing is you, you guys are probably the authority on market comps. I do the valuation, you know, because change of ownership uh, requires a business valuation. Well, where do you get your market data? Well, you got to go to somewhere like Empire Flippers to get your data. That seems like a pretty funny way to go that your your own deals are getting financed with your you're going to help the SBA vet that deal based on your own market comps. Yeah, and that, and that's something that with SBA deals that's why it's still very much not the norm because it is I wouldn't say the wild west we've kind of moved on from that, but a lot of these deals still don't qualify for for SBA loans for a really a number of reasons, age or seller location you know, a website and, and not like any sort of intangible, or I should say, uh, you know, any, any sort of physical assets involved and, and banks just typically don't really know what they're looking at there. That's for certain. <laughs> um, it's funny. I run into a lot of business owners that insist that their website has value over and above their, the aggregate business value. You know, me being the grim reaper of business valuation, I'm like, yeah, that that's just not how this works. You know, the, these assets all work together to contribute to the overall value. And so we get into squabbles about that. So can you talk about just the value and how that value of a website or that digital asset is part of the whole? Or if you are going to carve it out, how do you value it? And the things that go into a, a normal valuation. Yeah, it's great to meet another Grim Reaper out there. I've, it's <laughs> yeah. been a lonely road, I feel like. Uh, people don't understand me all the time. But uh, yeah, so really going back to the question there, uh, the website presence or other sort of 
you know, followings or social media or intangibles that a business might have on the internet? What does that do to the business value? Does it, does it really increase it a lot? Typically, it's a no. Really where that should show up, and this is what you were alluding to already, is a lot of that should be reflected on the bottom line. If they have a really outstanding web presence, if there's a lot of traffic that they're generating online already, if they've got huge social media channels, that should be shown in, in sales, that should be shown in the profit. Just having an Instagram account with 10,000 followers, those followers aren't going anywhere or doing anything or they're not like real, which is a hard one to vet too. That's not going to shoot up the price of the business just because you know, you have a few Facebook fans, Twitter followers and whatnot. It really needs to be a part of the business and, and really be tracked and shown to tribute revenue from that source. That brings up another question. So if I buy ABC.com, ABC for lack of a better acronym. Yeah. So if I have a LinkedIn page, does that normally go? Does the Instagram page, does the Facebook, the Snapchat, the TikTok and things like that. All, <laughs> all of that goes in, in one tranche that if I'm buying them all. Yeah. So it's going to be all the assets that are part of the business, which I've actually never seen. I've seen one business that had a Snapchat to it. No, no TikToks yet, but uh, <laughs> it's right around the corner. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, starting to see, you know, a good amount that have like YouTube. Sure. Uh, for the most part, though, it seems like the most important ones are are still the big names like Facebook, Instagram to the largest degree. And then a little bit like Pinterest, uh, Tumblr and whatnot. Yeah. If if they got a follower and it's part of the business, it doesn't need to come with it. So do you get any pushback from the seller saying you have, I bought all this, all all this uh, influencer marketing. I've paid for these Instagrams. I've all this traffic and all the costs associated with the, you know, sunk costs into building this. How am I supposed to recoup my investment? I mean, do you ever get into that, get that pushback? Yeah. And and I wish that I talked to those people a few months, you know, before they ended up <laughs> investing, getting sold by the, the Instagram service to uh, get them a bunch of followers and whatnot, because it, it's pretty crazy how often I hear of people hiring social media agencies to increase their marketing. And it results in nothing or the owner was doing it before and then things got worse after they hired that marketing agency. Are you getting pushback on oh. these sellers that are sitting here saying, look, you know, it's kind of like, look, I bought a million dollars worth of equipment. You know, I need at least a million dollars back. Well, that may not happen. Sorry. Now, if it's one of those things that we can prove that, let's say they spent $5,000 on, on an Instagram page and, and that really had no effect on the business whatsoever. We can add it back if, if it really was not part and, and let the yeah. buyers decide whether or not they feel they need to pay for it or not. Yeah. But for the most part, it seems like one of those roads where people want to go down it, they can, but it's not always going to be one that's going to return their investment. I got it. On a personal note, I've had a domain that I've been sitting on forever and go Yeah. And go daddy, you know, on the right, on the right hand side where it's, it's manage your, your domains, it's giving me a value. So I have the, the domain that I've sat on for years called businessinvestor.com. And I know there's lots of other people that went to GoDaddy when probably when you were just a little thing. And so one of these days, maybe I'll mess with it, put up a, a storefront or a capital source. I don't know. If you're advising me, what do, what do I do? Is it better to, to leave that domain alone, let it appreciate, 
Or is it better to put something on top of it and, you know, buy my 50,000 Instagram followers and then call you up and tell you what a great place I have? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this, it's, a, it's a good question with domains and it's talking about sellers that I've uh, spoken to before. I've, I've had some that have come to me and they have this domain and they think it's worth a billion dollars. They want me to sell that for them. That I certainly can't do. With domains, it's tricky. Uh, to give you a, a positive example of what can happen, but this is certainly an exception to the rule, is uh, I had a friend that sold a website. It was actually like a similar finance term. And someone emailed him. He was the owner of you know the domain. So he got an email and somebody wanted to buy it and ended up selling it for like $15,000 because it was related to a project that that person had going on. So they wanted to buy it because it matched the name of their project. Um, Most of the time though, the value of the website isn't in the domain name. It's, it's really the website Mm, itself. Yeah. Some exceptions though would be clear keywords like diamond.com insurance.com. I was looking some up too before the show because this isn't, I don't, I don't do too much domain investing or valuing, but uh, there was one 360.com that sold for apparently Google's telling me this is sold for $14 million. And that actually sold to Chinese company because if you're like a foreign speaker, you don't know if you like speak Chinese, you can't say businessinvestor.com to <laughs> your Chinese friend that doesn't speak English. So you just say the numbers. So there's some domains out oh, there wow. that are yeah. pretty valuable that are just numbers. So that's, you know, since that's easy to uh, communicate with other people. I've had a couple of offers and it's one of those things of, 15 bucks a year or whatever it costs to, to hold it. So why not, yeah. why, why not just hold it as we're talking about the brokerage of online businesses? What is there markets for the rental of intangible assets like this? There are definitely sites and marketplaces out there that broker domain names, you know, GoDaddy, they have their auction system yeah. name cheap as well. There's a lot of other ones too, that are, a little bit more set up with a brand that's like ready to be plug and played into. Um, But is it worth anything? I mean, not worth value wise. Is it worth anything from the standpoint of, you know, they say, all right, you know, your, your domain's worth $8,000. Is that a a good number? Because I'm certain out of all the millions of domains that they're dinking with certain, there's some sort of algorithm or something's going on. That's giving them that number. You and I both know, having been in the business for a while that garbage in garbage out, I would much rather talk to somebody that, that has sold something or that has valued something than just rely on an online calculator. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there can be. So where you start to see domain names that get acquired for, you know, thousands of dollars, maybe even up to like a hundred thousand dollars, really what's happened with those domains is they used to be a website and the previous owner, for some reason, they just were over the website. They stopped running it, but maybe it had a lot of history to it. It had uh, content sure. on it before, then it expired. But there's still a lot of websites on the internet out there that are linking and referencing that website. Oh, yeah, the backlinks. So the backlinks, backlinks. Yeah, so the backlinks have value. I get it. Yeah, that, that's like uh, SEO buzzword number one right there is <laughs> right. backlinks. That is hot commodity right there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I see a list of, uh, with some groups that I'm in, I'll see a list of domains that are expired and, and up for sale. And they'll range anywhere from 
a couple thousand dollars up to like a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know if they ever sell for that much, but yeah. it could be one where maybe some old lady was blogging about cats for the last 25 years <laughs> and you know, she passed away or something and uh, sure. somebody can buy that site. It's got all this SEO mojo from blogging about right. cats for so long. So they might start a, huh. a cat product review site and they have a huge head start compared to if they just bought a brand new cat domain. I got you. So it's about the head start. I get it. How do you prospect? I mean, where do you, where are you getting your business? I mean, I'm aside from I, you've been doing it long enough that I, I'm certain you have a, a referral base for me. I mean, accountants and attorneys and financial planners seem to be the people that I talk to who in your world do you talk to that serves as, as you know, the, your feeder for the, the brokerage. Yeah. We've had the benefit of, having a lot of inbound leads over the years where people are finding us through our podcast or our, our marketing, our content. We have a, a really great marketing team that's always creating new articles, you know, ranking for different SEO terms as well. So that's one big source of where our buyers and sellers come from. Beyond that though, going out throughout the world, going to different conferences. We have people that live in pretty much every, con every continent at Empire Flippers. So we're meeting people all around the world. Besides that, we, we do some outreach as well to talk to people that have like larger Amazon or e-commerce businesses or, or certain types of websites that you know, we will outreach to to see if they have considered the idea of selling. And then you know referrals from previous clients, probably kind of standard fare there as well. But uh, yeah, we've had the, the good fortune of having a lot of uh, inbound leads too. Speaking of Amazon, so the planet has come to, to a screeching halt and rumor has it that the affiliate commissions have been shellacked. So does value just evaporate for the online business just overnight like that? It did. So a lot of, we, we've repriced a lot of our uh, websites that were using this program, Amazon Associates. And it was a very aggressive uh, price decrease. So some of these businesses overnight, you know, went from, you know, pretty much got cut in half. Yeah. So how do you have that conversation? We're having conversations now that business isn't necessarily what it, what it was 90 days ago. And looking forward to the next 12 months, you may or you may not get it back. So what's the conversation that, or how are you having the conversation? I'm assuming it's the same way we are. Yeah. Well, you know, sellers that were either wanting to sell or were, are, are currently listed and have their businesses up for sale. The businesses had to be repriced and, and you know, maybe not all the sellers wanted to continue to sell their site after that. So they temporarily paused it or delisted it because they're still getting traffic. So they may be able to replace Amazon Associates with another program, make up some of the earnings there and, and increase the, uh, the sales over time. But yeah, for others, uh, it, it's been, it hasn't necessarily affected buyers as much as it had, as much as it has sellers. We're not seeing like multiples go down or, um, you know, offers go down from buyers, but certainly it hasn't uh, pleased all sellers. But I, I guess if there's a silver lining out of all this, it's uh, what's that expression? A rising tide lifts all boats. Sure. Um, yeah. Where I'm going with that, I'm going to see if I'm going to the place I think I'm going with that expression. <laughs> but uh, basically, it's a great like lesson to diversify your affiliate revenue. Don't rely all on Amazon. You know, start to really treat your website as if it's 
you know, a real business and don't rely all on one client. Diversify those earnings some. That's what's going to make businesses stay around longer at the end of the day. That's what, mul- that's what multiples are going to increase too. And people are going to get more from the sale of their business anyways. That's interesting. So you, so you have the same customer concentration issue. You, in your case, it's just a affiliate concentration. I have to imagine that Amazon slashing all of that was act, was really good for Amazon because Amazon still rocking. So the motivation to slash the commissions, I, I still don't understand why they would do it because I mean, the people that were serving them were still able to serve them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean there. Amazon's just everybody in the world pretty much knows Amazon at this point. So you know, at the end of the day, if they slash the commissions that they're paying out to affiliates, are people going to stop going and buying through them? There could certainly be uh, website visitors that go to a website now. They, they click on an affiliate link that takes them to a different website. Let's say Chewy, a pet site that a lot of people use to buy products on. They may see that product on Chewy or another website then just go back over to Amazon anyways and you know price compare and then just buy through Amazon that way. As Amazon stock goes up, the commission cuts keep coming, it seems like. Do you sell like online courses? I was reading an article that the online education market is just going crazy that especially now where you know your Udemy's and Kajabi sites and yeah. Teachable that people are cranking out courses on how to pick whatever it is you want you you want to learn. Is there any value to to those types of businesses, or are those exclusive to the teacher? Really, yeah, a lot of the times they're exclusive to the teacher because of how they're set up. Uh, you know, it's it's it goes back to those types of businesses or sites that are very personally branded, and it's just it's going to be a, a real chore to you know, redo all these videos, delete that presence from the site, and then still maintain the same earnings. But on the other hand, there are businesses that have been set up where maybe the teachers were were outsourced or, or they are experts, but they have some sort of deal with the site where they continue to work with the site, but the actual business owner isn't a part of it. So we don't see a ton of those, but they are out there. And when they when they do qualify for our marketplace, really just meaning that they're not like personally uh, branded or rely solely on the owner. They usually generate a good amount of, of interest there. It's something unique. You know, it's not uh, usually a cookie cutter business. So those do get a lot of interest when they are built correctly. So is confidentiality important in, in your practice? Yeah. Yeah. So, so how about post-sale? I mean, because my, my next question, since we're we're approaching the conclusion of our conversation, I wanted to see, you know, what was the most famous uh, site you brokered and mm. what was the most famous buyer you worked with? Uh, there's definitely been some some buyers. I think there was a, there was a buyer last December that kind of came out of nowhere and maybe, uh, what was it? They, they entered our... Um, our CRM, our CRM one week, and then a week or two later, they wired over close to a million dollars, bought a business, and you know they're a younger person. And you know, I was thinking, who who is this person? And you know, we talked to her as well, and um, it just seemed very, yeah, very interesting. You don't have that happen every day where somebody comes out of nowhere and, and wires over that much money without hardly asking any questions. And 
It was someone that has done a lot of e-commerce work, trying to kind of beat around any big buzzwords here, but just a very young, successful female entrepreneur that I didn't know her before this happened, but um, you know, Googled her name a little bit and was just very impressed that, you know, she heard about us, came to us, bought a business. And, uh, you know, we were able to have her as a client and, and get her a business to, you know, grow. So there's been a few like that, but that was one of the cooler ones. Yeah. I, um, just in case my marketing director happens to be listening to this. So I, yeah, I listened, I, I listened to, to marketing school with, uh, Neil Patel mm. because just so I can keep up to, with what's going on in marketing at any rate. So Neil Patel, I mean, he's a, he's a huge name in the, in the marketing world. He was talking about your, about empire flippers and, yeah. and, uh, different investments that he's been chasing, you know, as yes. far as adding to his agency. Yeah. So that's actually a good one. I don't know if Neil himself has been involved in any deals, but I've like heard the name a few times where he's been maybe part of a group that was in on one, you know, so the, maybe the broker on that deal is like, you'd be talking to Neil Patel today. That's pretty cool. A couple final questions. So if I'm a business owner, how do I know I need empire flippers? I think we've established that if you have a business, if you have storefront, you know, it's probably likely that you need a regular bricks and mortar brokerage versus someone like you. So I guess that would be my, my, the last two questions is how do I know when I need you? A lot of people, they don't quite know when they want to sell and and they don't know a lot about the process. So how do they know when they need us? They're really not going to find that out unless they call us and start to at least go down that road of exploring what an exit might look like for themselves. They would need us when we talk about the business. We know that we can sell the business for a price that they want. And it's a good fit for both us and for them. But a lot of the times, business owners don't always know what their business is going to sell for or what the process is, or they think it's going to take 12 months to sell their website and, and not you know two weeks. So that's when it's always good to just talk to each other, make sure we're both a good fit to work with one another. Yeah. And, and hash it out from there. Well, it seems as though people, people are more apt to, to visit with you versus, I guess where I'm heading with it, I'm trying to determine whether or not like a business that we would work with, there's more of an intimate relationship than a digital asset. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it feels like it is, but I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. I was, I was wondering about that and how you thought about that as well. I think a lot of people that have built these businesses in the first place, since it is very much like a tech business or like a digital marketing business, it is a business where a lot of the times the the owners or the founders of them are a bit younger, 20s, 30s, 40s, a lot, a lot of times 20s and 30s. This is their first time selling a business. They really don't have the experience of what a traditional business broker and, and relationship looks like. So they really just turn to the first place that they can. They do some research online. They find us. And we know exactly how their businesses work. We're very transparent with, with our track record as well. And it seems like a, a pretty natural fit from that point. I mean, we have countless examples of businesses just like theirs that we've sold. And a lot of the times, it's an online business. These people are comfortable with that online relationship. Maybe we're not in the same country at all. Whereas perhaps more with your experience, there's a lot more like in-person 
connections and meeting? What What is it like? So I've been in this for nearly 30 years and I look at you and when I first got in it, it business owners like not in a million years, am I going to entrust? I wouldn't trust my car with you, much less my business. <laughs> what? You know, you're, you're 22 sure. years old. Um, but I think in your case, I mean, this is a, a I don't want to say a young man's game, but I, I don't think age matters nearly as much as the street cred that, look, I've done deals. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old. I've done more deals than you, and I can drag you through this path to success. So, you know, you may want to think about getting on board. I mean, the avatar of, of a deal guy in your world, I have to imagine, looks kind of like you, right? At our company, definitely. At, at a lot of others as well. Uh, there's, there's certainly more that do look like, like my avatar here than somebody who's, you know, 60 years old, 50 years old. I, I don't think that's to say that there's a reason that would make sellers or buyers not want to work with older internet business brokers. It's just typically that the people that are already 56 year old uh, business brokers, for the most part, they're not in that internet space. I think they could definitely provide a lot of value with just the traditional experience that they've been through, the business background that they have. But there is that you know meeting point where understanding both the, the business side of things, as well as these online assets, what's involved with them, what the owners are going through, really being able to talk the talk there as well. Yeah. So, but I mean, you don't meet anyone in person. You're what, Zoom calling and, and wiring and... I mean, do you have deal rooms? What is the mechanics of, of a deal look like with you guys? Yeah. So it's pretty much all online over the internet, you know, through zoom or, or, you know, HubSpot or, or just um, Skype. Yeah. That's pretty much all how it's done. There's times where we do meet clients, buyers or sellers, but that's more so because we're in the same place at the yeah, same time, sure. more so than it's necessary for a deal to be done. Yeah. I guess my last question is if you had one piece of advice to give to our listeners that would have the most impact on their business, and in this case, their online business, what would it be? So I'd love to hear yours on this too, but, and this might sound like some somewhat of a biased answer because uh, I'm, I'm a business broker, but setting up a call with a business broker, whether it be me or another business broker, if you're, even if you're not thinking of selling your business, I can't even count all the times that I've worked with sellers that never wanted to sell. They love their business and then something changed. Maybe they just got burned out on it. Personal circumstances came up, wanted to move on to another project, get a divorce. I've heard that more than once. (laughs) A lot of things come up. So if that does happen, just being prepared and having your business prepared to be able to sell. It's such a better experience for both me and more importantly, the person wanting to sell the business than it is somebody that's, you know, needs to sell by next month. And this is the first time they've started to think about it. Their books aren't in order. They haven't done anything to prepare their business to turn over to a new buyer. That is a very difficult situation. There's so many things that we can talk about to get your business ready or to you can do over a pretty short timeline to uh, get more from uh, the, the valuation that you just can't do if you're working on a 30 day notice. Yeah. It, 
the same. My rub is, you know, everybody's an exit planner these days. It does, you know, it, it's it's a buzzword that's been diluted. That really rubs me wrong because I, I am a I'm a big advocate of sale prep and calling a broker or somebody that has, you know, boots on the ground that is in the trenches that knows full well what you're getting ready to go through is a heck of a lot better than someone that's going to put pen to paper and and let me run a spreadsheet for you. That's a different kind of consulting. I'm not taking anything away from it, but when you're thinking about selling, whether regardless of the type of asset you're you're dealing with, I implore business owners to just have that conversation. It's a confidential conversation. It's not yeah. it's not like I'm going to go publicize that you just showed up on my doorstep. The worst case scenario is to have to sell a company under duress and and you know you know the same thing. As soon as someone learns that it's in a distress situation, like we're all getting ready to to have an influx of those, the negotiated value, I, I lose my negotiated leverage. But if we come into the sale process in a position of strength where we all understand this is how it's, the deal is probably going to go down, now you can prepare for it. You may You still may not like the answer, but at least yeah. you can prepare for it. So, yeah, we're in the we're in the same camp, man. Yeah, I was curious where yours would be. I'm glad to hear it's uh, <laughs> it's the same. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, too, uh, I think incentives are in the right place when when that's the case, because we only get paid when the business sells. So it's it's a conversation that you can have where we're not charging, you know, any money. Buy me a beer if you want to, I suppose. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm just there to help out and to see if it's a good fit. And if it is, you know, here's what we can do. Here's how much we can sell it for. Well, yeah, and that, that's what we can provide. Yeah, and I think that's the the beauty of of this podcast, and and I'm certain with the same with you is that you know what you get a chance to hear the people that you're going to be talking to, and it kind of yeah. changes the dynamics that I'm not just looking to to feed off your business. I I truly want to maximize your value. I truly want you to get the best deal. I truly don't want you to get punched in the face when we hit the market. Yeah. I think the same thing for you guys. I mean, we, we serve the underserved. We're downstream from the investment bankers and people that are selling their companies for sub 10 million. They need that that investment banking level of expertise to help them through the process. And that's where we kind of come in. You and I both. Exactly. So what's the best way we can connect with you? The best way to reach me is my email, Andrew V, V as in Victor at empireflippers.com. From there, you can send over a link to schedule time to chat and we can, yeah, easy place to connect. Right on. Well, one of the things that I know we started to talk about earlier is your state of the industry report. And I know that uh, I'm going to have this this link in the show notes, but can you talk a, a little bit about this 91 page behemoth of a state of the state? I, I wrote it all myself. Did you it's really? all the deals that I personally said. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so this, this industry report, this is uh, the second one that we've published two years in a row here now. And what we're trying to do is just bring more transparency to the online business world. You have some brokers out there that are just trying to lock in sellers. Like I'm sure that you see all the time, but just sky high multiples. So we're, um, you know, we're not revealing like names of businesses that we sold, but Last year alone, we sold about 250, 270 deals. So we're, we're showing all the real numbers on here's their listing multiple. Here's what they sold for. Here's how many days they're on market. 
and doing that for, for every business type. So there's 91 pages to that. It goes into a lot more detail, but if you're just getting into the space, you can certainly start with some of the easy numbers and then read through it as well and learn a lot about it. Well, I'll tell you, it, I mean, it is, it, as a guy that read it in preparing for this, oh my gosh, that is a truly great publication. I'm not saying that to stroke you. I mean, I got to imagine that uh, my brethren in the uh, business valuation community will be hearing this and be uh, downloading that. because <laughs> <laughs> awesome. it, it is that good. Well, Andrew, yeah. look, man, uh, I'm so grateful for how generous you were with your time and, and all this experience and, and how you help business owners maximize their value. I mean, that's what we do here. And so, and to all of you that uh, want to learn a little bit more about Andrew and, and Empire Flippers, go to empireflippers.com. And Andrew, man, I can't thank you again. I uh, or thank you enough. I hope we have an opportunity to, to do this in person one day. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Stay in touch some more. I really appreciate the opportunity and it was really great to connect with you. Ed. Well, right on. Well, stay well, man. I appreciate it. All right. You too, Ed. Take care, man. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.